Welcome to the Valley College Connection, where John Kawai and Scott Wigan, two Valley professors, engage in a conversation about success with educators and students. Each week, they'll sit down with a different guest to find out ways each of us have had to plan, persevere, and overcome to where we are now. The show will also highlight resources and services that are working to make a difference at Valley College. We are joined today by Professor Niku Berenji, Professor of Law at Los Angeles Valley College. Thank you so much, Professor Berenji, for sitting down with us this afternoon. My pleasure. We'd like to start off, as we always like to start off with our guests, by hearing your story in terms of how you got here to Valley College. And if you could take it as far back as you would be comfortable going, if that's elementary school or high school, but if you can share with us what your experience was like as a student, how you came to the decision of what schools you'd go to, how you ultimately became a professor of law, we would love to hear your story. Sure. He would have asked me back in the fourth grade or third grade when we were doing all those projects in class. I distinctly remember doing a project where we each had to talk about what we wanted to be and, and use little magazine clippings and pictures and kind of put our head on the body of, of somebody in a magazine, a picture that kind of reflected our career. I just remember picking and then writing a paragraph about why we wanted to be that person. I just remember putting my head on the body of a woman in a very 80s looking corporate business suit with the big shoulder pads in front of a computer with a notepad on her lap, the phone that she was holding with her head tilted over. And she just looked very important and busy. To me, she looked like what a lawyer looks like. You know, the shows back then were LA Law. And there, there was a couple of uh, lawyer shows that I remember my mom, mom used to watch. And I just thought those women looked so in charge and like nobody could mess with them. And like they didn't need to, you know, depend on anybody else or put up with crap from anybody else. And so I thought that I wanted to become a lawyer. I had no idea what that meant. At the time, I had nobody in my family was a lawyer. We didn't have any family friends that were lawyers. I knew that I liked to argue with my parents. And sometimes my parents would tell me, you'd make a great lawyer because of how I argue with them. But but really beyond that, I didn't know what it meant. And then one thing I think I had going for me is I, I did always love to read. I loved to learn. And that didn't always necessarily translate into good grades in the classroom, but I was curious and I did really love, I love to read. That was a constant throughout my education from elementary school all the way through, through now. I love to read. And so around junior high, I started reading like legal thrillers and those kinds of books. And I loved the books where there was a lawyer who was fighting against all odds to defend a client who was innocent, who had the system stacked against him. And I just loved that idea of representing the underdog. And standing up for people who, you know, who are good people, but nobody else would stand up for them. That kind of was something I was interested in all through junior high, all through high school. Well, can I ask you a question on the L.A. Law? Because you're not the first woman that I've, I've talked to who is a lawyer who said L.A. Law was a big influence. Oh, that's um, funny. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, you know, because when you think about it, that probably was the first show that had prominent women being lawyers. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I remember Ally McBeal came out later than that. And even Ally McBeal was kind of a big deal because there was a prominent woman lawyer, but definitely Law and Order. I mean, if I, I don't remember any other show back then where the, not just that there weren't prominent women lawyers, but a lot of the shows back then, the women were not professionals. You know, it was the mom figure or the, the housewife teacher or a nurse or something like that. But there really weren't a lot of shows where the woman was like a CEO or anything like that. You did see women in business. And I think that was the first one where you saw a woman, just as you mentioned, right, with the suit and the look and the credibility and the power. Right. And I've heard this quite a few times of women saying, I became a lawyer. I didn't know anything about it. I just liked L.A. law. Oh, and I think it does speak to 
how important it is to be able to see yourself on TV, how important representation is. For sure, that idea of representation and being able to see yourself in the media is, is really important, but I had never made the connection between how it impacted me. But you're right. Yeah, absolutely. So in high school, were you thinking about becoming a lawyer? You know, I come from a family where my parents were both immigrants. I was reminded every single day that they had sacrificed everything for us and for us to get an education. And that's why they had come to this country. And it was either lawyer, doctor, engineer, one of those. But between the three of them, I think I, they would have loved it if I would have gone to medical school. In high school, I moved away from necessarily wanting to be, to be a lawyer. My goal in high school was I did know I wanted to go to a good college. So really, my focus in high school was just get the best grades I can. I tried to get involved in a lot of extracurricular activities because I knew that would help my chances of getting into a college. But it wasn't so much that I necessarily wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't know. I wasn't sure. Nico, where did you go to high school at? Was it in the L.A. area or were you in a different state? So actually, I started high school at University High School in, in the Westwood area in West L.A. I started with really good grades, and then I got into a crowd that was not really the best influence academically. And so my whole ninth grade, my parents warned me, you know, if you if your grades slip, we're going to change your school. If your grades slip, we're going to get you away from this crowd. I didn't really take them seriously. And then at the end of ninth grade, my grades weren't that good. They acted on their <laughs> on their threat, and I moved to Beverly Hills High School. My family actually moved so we could go to those schools, and I... Socially, I had a really hard time, but academically, you know, it's funny how when you don't really have people to hang out with, you just study. <laughs> There's not really much else to do. So it did end up being a good move for me academically because 10th and 11th grade, I really, really just focused on school and getting good grades. And so I, I ended up going to UCLA. I actually got in as a biochem major. So I thought at that point, I won in senior year. I thought maybe I'll try medical school. And I decided very quickly after starting at UCLA that that was not for me. It was kind of what my mom had been, had wanted for me. Then it, I fell back onto law. So even then though, I mean, I, I was focused on getting, getting grades that were good in college so that I would have options open for me, regardless of what I decided to do. But when I finished my undergraduate, I still wasn't sure that I wanted to be a lawyer. So I thought I would get a master's degree in uh, Near Eastern Studies. I knew that I wanted to move away because I lived at home for college. I knew I wanted to, I want. I had this idea of moving to New York, probably law and order influenced <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> but I just thought the idea of living in New York was so glamorous and I it didn't even occur to me to just move there. I had to, you know, my parents were, they're, they're very strict uh, parents. And so they said, you either have to have, a, you know, you need to be there for school or you need to be there needs to be something that you're going there for. So I applied to graduate school to get my master's degree in Middle Eastern studies. Okay, well, let me let me roll you back a little bit. Where did your parents actually immigrate from? Iran, during the revolution, so 1979, the revolution in Iran. Oh, wow. So when they immigrated, which country did they have to go to before the, the U.S., or were they able to come here direct? So my father was actually here in the U.S. before on a student visa, and then he just never followed through with that. Like, they ended up just staying here, but he didn't finish college here. And so, but that's what he originally was here for. And then he married my mom. I was born in the U.S. So I was, but they had immigrated right before I was born. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of Beverly Hills High, how did you like it? I mean, it's sort of the 90210 model, right? I mean, it's the top public high school in Southern California. Socially, I did not like it, to be honest. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's as bad as what the stereotype is. For me, it was not a place where I felt home. But excellent resources. They had plenty of AP classes. 
there was lots of extracurricular activities. There were, um, you know, the teachers, I remember being great. I, I feel like I've been very blessed, though, at every school I've been to. I mean, I, I went to public school my whole life. I've always felt blessed with the teachers that I've had. It is a great school academically and just in terms of what they can offer students. I was very upset with my parents for, for changing my school. But in the end, I think it was the right move for me. Quite a bit harder than uni, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I pushed myself harder. I, I Once my grades got better, I tested into higher classes. And so, so yeah, it was definitely more work and it was more challenging. But that's also, I think, because I wasn't really applying myself at uni. <laughs> well, let me ask this. How did you enjoy UCLA? I loved UCLA. I um. I think it goes back to just it being on a college campus. I think one of the reasons I became a professor is because I love being on a college campus. There's just so much energy. I, there's so much learning going on. There is, you know, there was always some club or some activity or some, I, I really, really loved it. Yeah, I, I loved UCLA. Yeah, I love the, the energy on campus. It's messed up because you're always studying. You can't do anywhere near all the cool things that's happening yeah. on campus. Yeah. Um, now that I've graduated, I wish I could go back and be able to see the late night movies or go to the concerts and <laughs> go to the football games or students go to the student section. But I don't know why all that opportunity is available when you are just too busy to take advantage of all yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, I did. My first UCLA football game was like five years ago. <laughs> it was not <laughs> when I was in college. <laughs> yeah. Miku, what did you major in as an undergraduate student? I started as a biochem major, and then after my first two semesters with science and chemistry and biology classes, I switched to history. And history is what I had I had always loved. And the nice thing about law school, you know, I looked into it, and it, it, law school is one of the few graduate, like, professional degrees where it really doesn't matter what your undergraduate major is. They they accept that's not, there's no required courses that you have to take to get into law school. It's not like medical school where you have a bunch of, you know, bio and chemistry classes you have to take. You could have any background academically, and it won't bar you from applying to law school. So I don't know what I want to do for sure, but I just know that I should get as high a GPA as I can. And I knew for me, that would be more likely if I actually enjoyed my classes. So where did you end up going for your Near Eastern Studies master's? So, you know, while I was at UCLA, 9-11 happened. And there's just a lot of focus on the Middle East, everything that was going on there. I'm, you know, my family's Iranian. I'm, I'm Iranian American. I became really, really interested in kind of learning more about what was going on there and and so I applied to, there's not that many schools that have graduate programs that focus on Middle Eastern studies, but NYU had a good one. And I had wanted to always live in New York. That was actually the only graduate program I applied to. There was, a, there was an internship at Georgetown where you got to go work for a congressperson. And that was the other program that I had applied to. But my plan was, if I don't get in, I'll just take a year off and work and then figure out and then maybe apply to law school after that. Were you considering at all working for the federal government? Because I remember at that time, there was a no. push to find people who could speak Farsi or understand the Middle Eastern culture. It didn't even occur to me that I would qualify for that just straight out of college. How was your master's? My master's program was great. I did get very homesick. I found New York to be a very, um, you know, it was tough. It was my first time living away from home. It's a very big city. But I also got to do an internship with a with a nonprofit, like with a UN agent, a United Nations agency. That's the other reason I had wanted to go there, because I thought maybe I'd want to do something in international law or something that like, you know, that has to do with like a humanitarian cause or that was a really cool experience. It was a great experience. And I think it's one of the reasons why having those experiences when I decided to apply to law school, I, I think it added a lot to my resume. 
that I had that knowledge. It kind of separated me from every other candidate who was just applying straight from undergrad with like a political science major, because that's kind of the typical law school applicant. I always encourage students who are interested in law school to not think that there's just one path where you have to study political science, get a bachelor's degree, and then apply straight to law school. I Law schools, I think, actually really value that that life experience. So yeah, so no, I like New York. So what did you do for the, for the UN? The organization that I worked for, they advocated for the elderly around the world, specifically in places of conflict. Or there's organizations that work on behalf of refugees or work on behalf of women and children, but this was the only one that was United Nations affiliated that dealt with, you know, they advocated for the elderly. And so I did research on the impact of conflicts on the elderly. So like in Palestine, in Afghanistan, that was my area of focus. And it was just compiling research and compiling data. We got to eat lunch in the UN cafeteria. I mean, all of that was really cool. <laughs> it, it was just a very cool experience. And just the East Coast, just being able to wear seasonal clothes and you just kind of walk around there and, and soak it in. It's just a, it's just a great town. You know? Yeah, that's kind of one of the more vain reasons I liked it. But yeah, I, I remember really enjoying the long wool coats and the hats and that, <laughs> that look. Something you don't get to do uh, here on the West Side. So at that point, you weren't thinking about a PhD in history? So my program actually was what's called the Terminal Masters. You, I could not even, it, it did not extend to a PhD. And it was one of the few programs where it was a master's degree, but it was geared toward people who wanted to go into either like humanitarian work or aid work. It was not intended for for people who were interested in the Middle East for to become professors or to go into academia. So I know I had no desire to go into academia at that, at that point. So did you have friends in your program that did humanitarian work off of that master's? A good friend of mine actually went back to Afghanistan. She was in Iraq for a while. Most of the people in that program actually did that kind of work. Either they went into nonprofits or a few of them did that for a little bit and then realized there was no money in it and went to law school. <laughs> um, but but yeah, but some of them, there was a few that were in the program for journal because they were interested in journalism. So that was the other it was either journalism or aid work that, that this program tended to direct people toward. So where did you end up going to law school? I ended up going to law school at Berkeley. Oh, the other thing I did when I was in New York, I, you know, because I thought maybe journalism would be a good fit. So I also, I interned at CNN. I interned at MSNBC, the networks out there. And I, but that wasn't something that I really felt like I, I saw myself doing. So I applied to law schools on the East Coast and on the West Coast, and I visited a bunch of them and I visited Berkeley and I just loved it. I loved the vibe. I loved the people. My now husband was my boyfriend back then. And he, you know, he was in California. So we had been long distance. I liked the idea of being closer than back in California, but I just loved Berkeley. And I'm so glad that I decided. And Berkeley offered me a scholarship, which was obviously really sweet, sweetened the deal. So it was between Berkeley and Georgetown because Georgetown also offered offered me a scholarship. And both of those schools, I really think having the master's degree and having that other background really helped me when it came to um, asking for financial aid and just being seen as a good candidate. Did you lose your residency when you went to New York then? No, I still paid in-state tuition. And now that I think about it, I don't think I was ever a New York resident. Wow, that's really two hard decisions. Like, I don't know if I could, which one I would pick, Berkeley or, or Georgetown. I mean, both wonderful, but Georgetown's in Georgetown. <laughs> They did this program for students who got in. They let you come to the campus and stay there with students in the dorms for a few days and kind of just see what it was like to live on that campus. And I'll be really honest, I did not really 
see myself as part of that student body. It was not a very diverse student body. It did not seem like a camp. That's, that's kind of what stood out for me. I don't know. I just didn't feel as comfortable there as I did when I toured Berkeley and I did their, their admit day events. Oh yeah. I mean, you're talking about the central of liberalism <laughs> right. versus right. Georgetown, which is the what number one school that fuels the FBI and the CIA. <laughs> right. So we're talking about two polar opposites, right? <laughs> yeah. I remember visiting and walking down that street in Berkeley. Like one of the things that sticks out was like, I saw people selling bumper stickers and the slogans on the bumper stickers were especially having gone to high school in Beverly Hills. Also, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe people here are saying things that I would never hear anybody say in West LA or yeah, in Georgetown, like, like you said, or so I just thought it was so cool. And you know, Berkeley has an amazing history with that. And I saw myself there more than Georgetown. So how was law school at, at Berkeley? Cause I've been told that they tend to over enroll so there are a loss of students as you sort of progress, or is that not true? I didn't get the sense that it was any more than it would have been at another law school. I mean, I loved Berkeley. I loved my experience at Berkeley. It completely changed me. I was always kind of more progressive in my politics. I loved my experience there. I loved the faculty. I loved how smart everybody was. The town where, and it's a campus where, Everyone's so aware of what's going on in the world. Everyone's so open to learning new things. I, I just really, I cannot say a negative thing about my experience there. Yeah, it was an amazing time for me. And I, it kind of made me wish I had even gone there for undergrad. How long was the program for you as a law school student? How long did that take? Three years. And is that typical for law school? Is that the standard? Or yeah, so the standard is three years. There are some schools that offer like night programs for people who work full time and those can take a little bit longer. It just depends on the specific school. So they can take four years, sometimes a little bit more. But if you're going full time, this law school is, is I don't know if any, I think it's always three years. I can't think of any law school where it's any different. I wanted to ask a question to, to kind of take it back for just a second, because you're describing what an amazing experience you had at Berkeley and, and how you were you know really happy that you made that decision after having that opportunity to go to Georgetown too. But prior to that, you mentioned that you had done a couple of internships. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it was by way of those internships that you realized that that was really not what you wanted to do. Can you speak just a little bit to about perhaps, you know, for students who are, are on the fence about exploring different programs or careers about the benefits of an internship or at least how that was for you and sort of leading you to being where you were at at Berkeley and being so happy? I definitely think that anybody who has the opportunity to do an internship, even if it's just two months, even if it's for a very short period of time, there really is no better way to get the feel for a certain career or just an environment. Because sometimes, you know, you might love the on paper what a career is, but then when you're immersed in the environment, you just might realize, I hate this environment. Or, you know, you might think like you hate the work, but then you actually are in the environment and you love the environment. So there's there's no substitute for actually being in the field, I think, I, in my opinion. I even, you know, students that I have that tell me they're interested in law school, I tell them before you even think about taking the LSAT, try to work in a law office. Try to get, get a sense of what that's like because, you know, a lot of lawyers end up miserable when they finish law school and they end up not liking the practice of law. I mean, myself, is I'm kind of an example, right? I chose not to practice and I'm teaching instead. And so for me, I, I enjoy this much more than practice. You might make, you make contacts that might end up helping you. You might, you know, it's, it's great conversation starter. I've had, I've had things on my resume that didn't really, I didn't think they added value, but then they ended up being what really stood out for an interviewer in a later job interview and just talking about that with them. 
made me stand out from other candidates, you know, so I, I really would encourage anybody who has the opportunity to do the inter internship. It's hard. I know sometimes because they're, you know, if they're, if they're unpaid and somebody just can't afford to do unpaid work or I know it can be hard, but I really would encourage anybody who has the opportunity to consider doing internships. Great. Thank you for, for sharing your thoughts on it. I just think it's important for students to hear, you know, firsthand about the, the benefits of, of what an internship can provide. So you're at Berkeley, you finish at Berkeley, you finish the three years. What brings you back down to Los Angeles? So, I mean, my family was in Los Angeles. I, I got engaged in law school. I, my husband was living in Los Angeles. So I always knew I'd come back to LA. My thought was I would go into international law. And that's kind of what I tried to focus on during law school. So law school's general, what, what some people don't realize is you don't really go into law school, a lot of people knowing what their, what their field is going to be. Law school is more about teaching you how to think like a lawyer and thinking you you know, teaching you how to argue cases like a lawyer, but that a lot of people don't even decide like what kind of law they want to go into until after they graduate. So, um, you know, my third year we did interviews for, for jobs and, it, and kind of the, the route that a lot of people take at some of the, the top schools is they go to work for these big corporate law firms, they pay the best. And so my plan was I'll just interview with a bunch of these law firms and I'll go work for, you know, as prestigious a firm as will have me. I knew I didn't want to stay in a firm like that forever, but I thought it'll be a good career starter. And I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I still had loans from my master's program that I had to pay back. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do this for a little bit for a couple of years while I try to figure out what I want to really do. And then in the meantime, I'll make good money and I'll pay back my loans. What did you do at this law firm? We basically represented big corporations as a first year attorney you're not really doing anything significant. You're not going to court. One thing they did allow us to do, which was a lot of fun, was to encourage, you know, younger attorneys to get experience. They would let us take on pro bono cases. So pro bono is when like a lawyer is working for free. So people who needed free representation, who didn't have the funds to pay for an attorney, we were able to take those cases and kind of handle them on our own because they would never let us handle <laughs> our paying clients matters on our own as junior attorneys. So I did a couple of pro bono cases. They were really rewarding. It felt that's where kind of, I felt like, okay, I'm a real lawyer now. Because other than that, your first year, you're really doing kind of drudge work at a big law firm. You're reviewing documents all day. You're doing research, you're supervising lawyers on like issues that on questions they have about what the law says on particular topics. So most of your day is spent researching the law or writing memos or reviewing documents. So how many billable hours did you have to produce that? <laughs> so our billable requirement back then was 2,000 hours a year. Came out to about like six and a half hours of, of bill. I think if I remember correctly, I mean, this is, this is 2007. That's a while ago. One way that I got lucky was my first year at the law firm was right before the economy crashed. So it was actually very slow. So normally at these law firms, you know, you, they work you to death. You're there all the time. You're working like 14, 15 hour days. It's, it's really miserable. But my experience was not like that because all of our stress during that time was we don't have enough work and we're not going to meet our billable requirement and we're going to get in trouble. So that was kind of what my experience was like. And about nine months in, I just decided I do not want to be here anymore. It's not at all fun for me. And I realized that's the job that made me realize I really need to like what I'm doing. I know that might sound obvious and stupid, but I had a lot of friends who were totally able to work in jobs where they hated the job and it didn't seem to affect them that much. And then they'd go home and then they'd have their, you know, their lives. But for me, I really needed to like 
my colleagues. I need to believe in the work that I'm doing, I realized. And it was hard for me to feel invested in my work at that time. It's rare. You know, you would think it's more common, but I think the data is that two thirds of the people hate their job and only one third like it. <laughs> and I've done I've done the experiment in my class because when I used to teach fifth graders, sixth graders, seventh graders, they know. And I would have them when they would ask me, like, why are we here? I go, let's ask a basic question. Raise your hand if your parents like their job. You know what? One third of the students raise their hand. I go, that is why you're here. You're oh, here so you can, like, God. get to pick a job that you like. Right. Because most of your parents, as you can see, don't like their job. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of times with the, with the immigrant story, right, that's the part that's missing. So I left that job and went to work at the public defender's office for almost a third of the salary. And my mom thought I was nuts. <laughs> like she was not happy about it for the longest time. You know, it had kind of been like her pride and joy to tell her friends and to tell everyone in our community. I work at this huge law firm. I mean, one of the best in the world. She wouldn't even tell people I was a public defender. She would tell people I was a district attorney and I would have to tell her like, mom, literally I'm on the other side. Like I'm literally the opposite of that. And I remember her saying, that's okay. You don't need to say anything. They don't know what that is. <laughs> so, but I think that's what trapped a lot of people. I think it's just the paycheck was so big for what you really, for what you were doing that it becomes hard to walk away from it. But I'm seeing in students now and just with everything. So there's so much more awareness around joy and around, I just, you know, the emphasis on like meditation and just being happy. And, you know, if you ask my, if you ask, I think my mom's generation, they might say that's not a good thing because you're not supposed to love everything and you just need to be tough and stick with it. And there, there's a balance where you can not be miserable every day when you're getting up in the morning to go to work and still make a decent living. So how did this transition to becoming a public defender happen and how'd you like it? I knew that I wanted to not be at the firm. Again, I didn't know any public defenders. I didn't have anyone in my family that was a public defender. I, I had always watched Law & Order. The idea of being a criminal attorney, really, it was kind of like what made me attracted to law in the first place. So I ended up reaching out to a friend from college who I somehow found out that she was now a public defender. And I reached out to talk to her about what her experience was like. She loved it. You know, it just sounded so amazing when she talked about it. And so I applied. Part of the interview process made me want it more. So meeting the people who work there, kind of being in the courthouse, it just seemed so much better than what I was doing at the time. And I remember actually sitting down with her and she asked me, well, how much do you make? How many hours do you work? And we divided it. And she told me, well, even though I make way less than you, if you divide it by hour, we actually make not that different. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's more of a lifestyle oriented job. I'm doing good. I believe, I mean, not everyone believes public defenders do good work, but I believe like I'm doing something I believe in. I'm kind of doing what I, what I always wanted to do, like fight for people who don't have anyone to fight for them. Did that sort of ethos and philosophy, was that partially informed by your experiences in Berkeley? Absolutely. The other thing that I think affected it was in my third year of law school, I got a DUI. That was my first time ever dealing with the criminal justice system. I saw firsthand what a messed up system it can be. I firsthand saw how I was treated very differently just because, you know, my husband had just become a lawyer at the time. The process was terrifying for me. The public defenders barely, barely talked to me before my case was called, before it was my turn to be in court. If it wasn't for me having my fiance, he, and he, even he didn't do criminal law. He had no idea what was going on either. And I could not tell my parents. 
they would have died. I didn't have money to pay for a private lawyer. So it was just such a scary experience, even for me, who had a partner who kind of kind of knew his way around the system. And he came to court with me and he talked to the prosecutors for me. I realized I was treated very differently, you know, because they hold you for one night <laughs> before they release you. And I saw that I was treated very differently than other people. And I don't know, it's just the injustice of the system really, really became very visible to me. I thought fighting for justice meant being a prosecutor and putting bad people away. I had never seen it the other way. You know, like I thought it was fighting for the victims was, was fighting for people who need to be fought for. I never had seen it as, no, actually the people who are going through the system are often are a lot of times victims too. Well, I think that's now a big change of how people are now seeing law enforcement and yes. the justice system, right? That, yes. that is, is just uh, incredibly inequitable. And then yes. when I had to deal with uh, my own disability and dealing with my insurance company, and it's, again, it's just like you said with the criminal system, it's just rife with inequity. Yep. Right. And if you just don't know and don't have someone there to sort of explain the rules, you're going to sign away your rights. Now I was lucky that I didn't sign away my rights, but I had a lot of people that I knew who were disabled at my work and they signed away their rights for insurance just because a lawyer came to them and said, you have to sign this. Yeah. And, and they do when that, that happens. It's crazy, but it's the difference between life and death sometimes. Not having access to that knowledge or to people who know what they're doing or you having it yourself. It's, it's really sad what the difference that it can make. Um, yeah, absolutely. So then how long were you with the uh, public defenders? I went to one of my, my mentors at the law firm and he told me when I told him I was going to leave to go to the county public defender, he said, well, why don't you consider going to the federal public defender? Because federal court's a little bit more prestigious. And he said, you know, I, um, I'm, I was a great, he thought, he said, oh, you're a great writer. There's not really much writing that happens in county, the county criminal courts. You, it would be a waste for you not, you know, federal criminal court, you're making you're making a bigger impact legally in terms of doctrine. And so he pushed me to apply for the federal public defender. And I did. And I went through the last stages of the application. And then there was a, the federal government froze the budget. And so they said, there's no more hiring. And we don't know when hiring is going to open up. That's when I applied to the county public defender. And I got the job. And actually, one of the things they told me, it's funny what you said about how things have started to change now in terms of public perception. But I remember in my interview, the head of the office told me, he's like, you understand, you are a public defender. Any ambition you have of ever becoming a judge or becoming going into politics, that's done. That's not going to happen. At the time, I said, yeah, that's fine. But now it's it's amazing that, I mean, the district attorney of San Francisco is a former public defender. So you have lots of judges now who have been made judges as public defenders. So definitely the perception is shifting. But so then I started working for county and then a, about a year into working as a county public defender, the federal government's budget freeze got lifted and they offered me the position and I and I left to go to the federal public defender. And so I was there for three years and then I had had a kid in the meantime and she was a year and a half old and I decided that I wanted to take some time off for family. Yeah, I've been told by a lawyer that when you hire a lawyer, you hire him. 24 hours because you're just constantly thinking about the case. It just doesn't go away. And then it just makes you pessimistic because you're always worried about the worst thing that can happen. That is very true. <laughs> that is very true. It's not a, yeah, it was a very hard decision for me. 
just because I felt like I'm, you know, I'm throwing everything away. I think for women also, you know, you take time off. It's very hard for you to come back at the same level that you were at. So, you know, I had a lot of colleagues at work, like female colleagues who are my mentors who were like, are you sure you want to do this? I decided to leave and take some time off. So how did you end up at Valley College? During high school and during college, I had always tutored students to make money on the side. And during law school, I was a TA for the undergrad campus to also make money. And I loved teaching. Like I thought I had a natural knack at explaining things. I just really loved it. And so I thought while I was taking time off, maybe I could start teaching and see how I like that. And I started as an adjunct at Pasadena City College and I loved it. And then I decided, yeah, this is what what I would like to do. I remember sending out about like 100 applications to different community colleges. I was willing to go as far as like Lancaster. I sent out so many applications. While I was an adjunct, the, the full-time position at Valley opened up and I applied. And yeah, I, I feel very lucky to have been chosen. And that was in 2014, I think. So this is my seventh year teaching in Valley. So what courses do you teach? I teach business law is the main main course I teach, which is kind of like an intro to the law. It's more focused on aspects of the law and the legal system that you need to know about if you're going to be working in the business field. So that's the, I teach a couple sections of that every semester and I teach business law too, which is kind of like the sequel to that course. We get a little more into the nitty gritty of things you need to know if you're, if you're operating a business. And then I teach real estate law as well. And I teach real estate. So is the employment for lawyers going up or down in the current economy? There's always a need for, I feel like if you, especially lawyers who work on like patents or lawyers with tech backgrounds, or I think there's always a need for that. And they're always very in demand just because there's not that many people who go to law school who also understand that science side of things or the tech side of things. And what I noticed, I mean, definitely among the friends that I had in law school who, who have undergrad degrees in like computer science or engineering or those kinds of things, they got snapped up very quickly by firms that did patent work and did, you know, that kind of thing. I think it just depends on the kind of law, law you do. I think depending on like movements in the economy, there's always some fields that are more in demand and some fields that are less in demand. If someone was, was considering being a lawyer, what's the best way for them to sort of figure out whether they like it or not? Like how would they go about getting an internship in a law firm? Then one of the nice things I think about getting a law degree is there's so many things you can do with it that a lot of my friends who are in law school aren't even, they're not necessarily practicing lawyers anymore. Either they teach or they own their own businesses or, you know, they're, they're in-house counsel. They just do consulting to companies. So there's so many different things you can do. I would recommend that they actually work in a law office. If they want to go to court, if they know they want to be the, like a trial lawyer, because I know, you know, there's lots of lawyers who have never set foot in a courtroom who just do contracts. So I would recommend that the nice thing is, I mean, it's a, it's a little different during COVID, but courts are open to the public. So you could actually go sit in on a courtroom and it's not always as glamorous as it looks on TV. I would really just recommend they try to get a feel for what it's like to work in the law. And a lot of the government, you know, like the public defender, the district attorney, they have internships available for college students who are not yet in law school. So I would recommend they try. Um, I, honestly, I think the first step would be to talk to a lawyer or somebody who's been through it. If anyone's listening to this and they, you know, they have questions, I'm always happy to talk to students. But I think it, it would be really helpful to start talking to somebody and kind of flesh out, okay, what is it about the law that's interesting? What kinds of things that you think lawyers do are interesting? And then based on that, try to find experiences that, that you can try out. In terms of just character or just skills, 
what are the sort of important baseline skills you need to be a lawyer? I mean, there's definitely a lot of reading. So you need to be comfortable with, with that. Being able to think on your feet fast is definitely very helpful. I mean, I say that, but my husband was somebody who academically was never that he didn't, he didn't particularly enjoy reading. He wasn't necessarily a great writer, but he's a great lawyer and he's still practicing and he, he loves the thrill of being in court. There's nothing that is needed for being a good lawyer that cannot be learned or that cannot be worked around. With all of that in mind, and as you spoke before about the internships, your experience as an undergraduate history major, when students get to Valley College and they're curious and, and you know have this inclination that perhaps law is the right course or, or a career option for them, should they be enrolling in the, the business law course that, that you teach in the Law 2 course? Is that you know good preparation or how do those courses sort of fit in a, into the trajectory that a student might be on? First of all, I think Business Law 1 is a great class. Obviously, I'm biased, but I would make it a mandatory class for everybody just because we cover the basics of the legal system, how courts work, you know, what you can sue for, what you when you're going to be held liable for something, what your rights are. And these are things that I just think in a country like the United States, where the ability to work within the legal system or work around the legal system is so crucial to being successful in anything that you do, even if you don't go into business. John, you mentioned, you know, knowing how to like navigate insurance contracts. I just think the knowledge that you gain from taking a, a course that just covers the fundamentals of our legal system and how laws are made. So we talk about how laws are made, you know, how you can influence how laws are made. So definitely, I think if somebody's interested in the law, but also if they're not necessarily interested in the law, but they just want to make sure that nobody is taking advantage of them or they know what their rights are in our system, especially students who come here from different countries who aren't as familiar with our legal system, I think it would be a very helpful course to take, yes. I mentor a lot of teachers and the first thing I explain to them is what gets them sued and what gets them not sued. <laughs> and it always shocks them like, wait, I'm just a teacher. I'm like, yeah. And just so you know, there's certain things that you can do that will get you sued and not unsued. And you've got to have that mindset that anytime you talk to a student or you do something, you got to do it in a way in which it's appropriate and you're not going to get sued and you're not going to put this school in jeopardy. Absolutely. And and that's true of at any profession, anything in life. I think it's really important to know in, in a litigious country like ours, like exactly what you could be sued for, what you can't, regardless of what you are. You know, I have lots of students who tell me after the class, like they were able to actually sue a landlord in small claims court, or they had, I had a student last year who sued their dry cleaner over like an expensive dress and she was able to do it in small claims court because we talked about that in class. So knowledge of the legal system can make or break somebody's success in this country. It's such an important class to take. So, and if somebody's interested in going into the law or the legal profession, then it makes it all the more important, I think, to take a class like Business Law One. Thank you for sharing that. You've inspired me. I want to take the course. <laughs> Sounds awesome. I'm always surprised by students who I talk to who seem to really understand the material. And I tell them, you know, have you thought about law school? And they just say, I love the class, but no, it just would be too hard. It always surprises me that students who, to me, would be so great at it, don't think that they would be good at it. Anybody can go to law school. I would encourage anybody who's thinking about it from not letting the idea that it might be too hard or that they might not be able to do it stop them. I remember Denise Labertieu's podcast where she had come on to Valley College and as a single mother and wasn't really thinking about law school, but eventually went to law school and was able to create laws to protect women from abuse. And then now is working with UN to sort of document sort of 
the progress or lack of progress the U.S. has made in terms of areas of abuse for women. I think that if you have something, a cause that you believe in, I think in order to have this change happen at scale, to sort of follow that model that, yeah, we do have students who didn't consider themselves law material, who went on to do amazing things for the issue that they believe in. The best public defenders I knew, honestly, were people who had either family members who had gone through the system and had really gotten screwed over by our criminal justice system or or who themselves had gone through things. All it took was a, a teacher who encouraged them or somebody, something that led them down that path. And they were, they were able to make a huge difference in, in people's lives. So yeah, absolutely. I haven't, I hadn't heard that podcast. Now I want to check that out. It's a great story. You mentioned that you were a, a lover of books. So my one question is, is there any particular book you know, fiction or nonfiction that you really enjoy to recommend? And then also within the genre of movies, any particular movie that really, you know, stood out for you or worthwhile for to anyone to see if they're interested in law? After becoming a public defender, I stopped watching Law and & Order and all those law <laughs> I have I used to watch SVU obsessively and I have not watched a single episode. It just became too real for me. I think it became kind of depressing. So now when I watch TV, I want to watch something funny and kind of brain dead. But I do have a list of like recommended, you know, movies and shows that I always give to my students every semester just to help them with get more familiar with the terminology. You know, Just Mercy is a recent one that I think is really good. It's about Brian Stevenson, an amazing lawyer. I'd recommend that one. Um, fantastic movie. Oh my yeah. gosh. And, and yeah, the college is reading that right now is the one book when, when college books. So oh, I, realize that, yeah. I think the book is much better. Like I would definitely recommend the book. That's kind of, but, but it is a more sad book. John Grisham's early novels. I loved, and I think they had a big role in, in making me want to be a lawyer, like a time to kill and the firm, the movies aren't that great, but I think his books were great. Other recent movies. I mean, you know, Law and Order is actually for a TV show, not that unrealistic. The other one is, that's one of my favorites always is My Cousin Vinny. Oh my gosh, <laughs> a classic, a classic. Although I will say after Black Lives Matter, when I watch, I can't watch Law and Order anymore because now I go, hey, you can't do that. And hey, that's crossing the boundary. And yeah, yeah. You know, like you watch that. And previous to Black Lives Matter, I was on the cop side. Let's go catch that guy. And yeah, now yeah. when I watch it, it's like, that's an abuse of the system. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, those abuses are still happening, unfortunately. Yeah. If I had enough time every semester, I would actually show that one in class. Oh, another really good one that I would really recommend is uh, the series, the People versus OJ series. I think they okay. did a fantastic job. Gives you a really good sense of, you know, like a realistic sense of what the L.A. courts are like. Yeah, I'd, I'd really recommend that one, too, for somebody who wants to see what, what the criminal justice system is, what, what working within it is like. Thank you so much, yeah. uh, Nico. If, if students want to get a hold of you or more information or, or take your classes at any particular way? Should they just Google you for the Valley College or do you have any other websites? Or It should be on the Valley College website. I always love meeting new students, even ones who are not in the business department. So yeah, they can feel free to email me and I'd love to talk to them. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time this, this afternoon. It was inspiring to hear everything that brought you to Valley College and we're very lucky to have you as part of the Valley College community. Oh, thank you. And thank you guys for doing this podcast for the students. Thank you very much.
The Valley College Connection podcast is dedicated to sharing the dynamics of our community and supporting the fascinating lives of students, faculty, and those in pursuit of college life information. The Valley College Connection podcast is produced by KVCM and supported by the LABC Academic Resource Center. The content heard on this podcast does not reflect the faculty, staff, and students of Los Angeles Valley College. Thank you.